You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to South Dakota Unlimited, the podcast for the average South Dakota sportsman, where we talk everything outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping, conservation, and anything else that impacts you as a sportsman in the 605. Hosted by C.J. Peters. Now let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome back to South Dakota Unlimited. If you're listening to this, you either didn't absolutely hate the first episodes, or they were such bad train wrecks you just can't look away. But either way, thanks for listening. I am having an absolute blast doing it. It's been a lot of fun, so I hope you enjoy it. Well, today's episode is a pretty typical spring topic, turkeys, as I'm sure you can tell by the title. If you've never gone into the turkey woods or had the experience of a turkey gobbling in your face or being surrounded by gobbles in the gray light of the morning, you should definitely try it. I 100% recommend doing it at least once because you will not regret it, and I promise you'll be hooked. So today I'm bringing on Mr. Greg Vandenberg, who is actually the president of the National Wild Turkey Federation chapter here in Sioux Falls and also has his hand in a few other conservation groups as well in the state of South Dakota and on a national level, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Greg loves the turkey hunt and he has hunted multiple places here in the state of South Dakota and has the experience of hunting turkeys in the variety of the types of terrain that are in this state. So on this episode, we talk about some of the gear Greg prefers, some tactics he uses, and how he changes that up as he goes to the different types of terrain that are available to hunt in the state of South Dakota. It's an awesome episode as the South Dakota turkey season is by now in full swing. As we record this, it was April 8th, and turkey season opens, gun season opens in two days, and bows have been open for five days or so already and i hope we all have a couple hunts under our belts as i'm looking to get into the turkey woods in the next week or so so i'm pretty stoked for that but also what's super cool about this episode at the end of the turkey talk greg and i get into his true passion conservation which also happens to be the true passion of me as well yes i love to hunt and fish 
I love to be outdoors, but the reality is we wouldn't be able to do any of that if it hadn't been for the men and women in the previous generations who started the conservation movement when they realized that the opportunities that they enjoyed at the time to hunt and fish would not be there for future generations. For all of us, you know, aka future generations, me and you and our kids and our grandchildren, if they didn't change something. Men like Theodore Roosevelt, Ed Abbey, Aldo Leopold, all made the hunting and fishing opportunities we enjoy today possible. And as hunters and as fishermen and women, it is now our responsibility to carry on their legacy and protect the wild places and the wildlife that is here now. So so it'll be there, like I said, for our kids and our grandkids. And this is part of the vision I have for this podcast. Yes, I want to talk hunting and fishing in this amazing state. But more importantly, I want to bring to light the importance of conservation in today's age. So I've got some ideas that are swimming around in my head, some irons in the fire to bring to you that voice of conservation that is actually incredibly strong in the state of South Dakota. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Also, which is really cool, is Sportsman's Nation, which hosts this podcast, which I'm a part of, is also a 2% for conservation certified. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the podcast as Greg has his hand in the 2% for conservation movement, which is really cool. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, I'll put some links down in the show notes um, to the different conservation organizations that we talk about later in the podcast. Um, Anyway, enough of my rant. Conservation, it is the most important thing when we talk hunting and fishing. So... Anyway, let's get at it. Let's talk to Mr. Greg Vandenberg. Here we go. Hey, Greg, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Ready? Nice spring day out with some rain, green grass popping up. I'm ready to get rolling on this warm weather. Yeah, probably going to be a uh, another year where we get all excited about warm weather and just get slammed to the blizzard in a week or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> we, we we have the tendency for those April snowstorms where you uh need four-wheel drive to do anything (laughs) was like two or three years ago i remember being in in brookings and it was another time where it was like super nice and then three days later i think we got 12 inches of snow and i'm like what the heck but that's south dakota yeah i remember going to uh rescue my neighbor's wife from a craft show and we had to me and my neighbor had to go in his four-wheel drive pickup just because there's so much (laughs) snow on the town (laughs) But that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Uh, and spring's a weird time. So obviously I brought you on to talk turkeys, um, but let's start off and uh, tell us just who you are, what you do, you know, where you're based out of in South Dakota and we'll, we'll just kind of steamroll it from there. Yeah. So my name is Greg Vandenberg and I am in Sioux Falls, which is um, as far as South Dakota standards, of course, the urban area, but uh <laughs> try to get out of this town as much as possible and enjoy the country around us. But I work at a hospital in town. I am the manager for the air transport team. So I kind of manage the day-to-day stuff and uh, work with the transport teams. So if anyone screws up and breaks their leg out in the field, you'll be the one. uh... (laughs) Well, not me anymore. I used to. Now I, now I tell people the most up and down I do is in my office chair. (laughs) <laughs> that's not too bad though <laughs> so uh i know you're not from south dakota so where tell everybody where you're from originally so i grew up actually in bozeman montana 
and this is the point where everybody's jaw drops and says, yep. what are you? Yep, exactly. And, That's uh, my thought. <laughs> Uh, I went to college in Iowa, Northwest Iowa, actually. Again, people's jaw dropped and wonder what I was doing. But I just kind of, honestly, it was, uh, it just ended up out there. I tell people that, you know, when you live out there, and I will readily admit this, that I maybe took it for a little bit of granted and, you know, I'm 18 and want to get out of there and see the, see the country and ended up out here, uh, married somebody from the area and ended up in Sioux Falls and and truth be told I just actually really like moving here it's kind of the best of both worlds we have some some mountainous hills to the west you know we've got some nice farmland river land in the state so I so I really like being out here honestly and and that's just kind of how I ended up out here uh family is spread out all across the country so I just kind of am out here doing my own thing yeah, I, I completely agree. South Dakota is definitely the best of both worlds. Um, so you can't beat the state. So I can't blame you for coming here, though. I would like to go visit Montana. I've never been. So just see the just see the pictures. And I'm like, what the heck could anyone move here for? But yeah. I don't know. It, there's something to be said yeah, about like the it, prairies. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, you know, the biggest it, people always ask me that. And honestly, it's hard to really explain how you just kind of don't connect the dots until you leave there of of how nice it is how special it is you know mm -hmm. so but it's okay i i really like being in south dakota too yeah absolutely so uh how'd you get into hunting and, and what started you on it was it a were you like the typical run of the mill you you just had a family that hunts or you got into it on your own or how, how'd that all work out so i grew up uh very much an outdoor family uh we spent time camping fishing basically, you know, lots of hiking. Uh, my parents to this day absolutely love national parks and go to as many as they can. And, uh, in college. So I have that background of just being outdoors as a over as a whole. And in college got connected with a guy who, uh, kind of put, put me on to pheasant hunting. Uh, and we'd, uh, we, after class, we'd go road hunting, uh, which not actually on the road for people who aren't familiar with that term, but, uh, we'd just hit the gravel roads and find groves and knock on doors and walk a walk a grove of a farmhouse and shoot some pheasants and take them back and make them at our, make them in our dorm rooms and so it was, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, not long after that, he kind of turned me on to turkey hunting. We we're both a little bit of novices and we we hit some some hills out by the uh, the it'd be basically the same place as South Dakota, the Sioux river, uh, just South of Canton actually is where we would go a lot and got into that. Didn't have a ton of a success, but stuck with it. I lived in Southern Iowa for a little while, had a friend who had some farmland, got to sit out and do some turkey hunting there. Still kind of the same thing was just feeling it out, having really not having an idea of how it works, uh, how to get birds to come in, but not a ton of success moved back to this area and uh, got drew a Lincoln County tag. And that first year I managed to get a really nice bird actually kind of late in the day. So that's kind of been the, how things have progressed. Now I've kind of progressed into deer hunting with a uh, bow and, and trying out all sorts of different things. Went antelope hunting a couple of years ago. So definitely not a background in hunting, but really tied in my just love for being outside and uh, using that that love and transferring over to hunting. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds a lot like uh, kind of my background in it too. Um, definitely. My dad was not a hunter at all. So <laughs> he's still not. <laughs> yeah. He tries to go fishing. Yeah. But my, he spends uh, more time uh, untying knots than <laughs> no offense, dad, if you listen to this, but <laughs> <laughs> my dad uh, really loves uh, floating. Basically I call it and uh, dragging, dragging spoons and picking up trout out of the lakes up there where I, where I grew up and that's that's kind of his love he's always loved fishing but mm-hmm. never really as much of a hunter so i really had to kind of figure it out on my own with the help of friends and that sort of thing yep it's uh, it's an adventure in and of itself so that's pretty fun so what yeah. would you say your thing is your dad's thing is fishing what what would you say your favorite thing to do is the one thing that if you could do the rest of your life and forget everything else what would it be oh i don't know you know, I've really gotten turned on to mule deer hunting lately. Um, I've got to spend some time on the west side of the state, uh, up in Slim, Bo- Slim Buttes area. So I really, I think at this point in my life, that's if I had to really honestly pick, I'd pick that. But turkey hunting has always been kind of my my first love, if you will. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that first that really sucked me in. The stuff mm-hmm. that I spent way too much money on. The stuff that still have all like those Rubbermaid totes, just tote after tote of crap that I don't even use, but it's still there. And it just, uh, turkey hunting is just, it's fun. You know, the weather's not horrible for as for generally. And, and so it's just kind of one of those really fun things. But uh, like I said, I, I really got turned on to mule deer hunting lately and it's something that's really been fun. I've really enjoyed. So. Yeah, it's it's a blast, and I just started really doing that last year, so I can definitely attest to that. Uh, so you've got totes and totes of gear anymore these days. <laughs> what are you doing uh, this year? What what are you gonna have with us? Let's start off with calls. What, what do you use? So I have tried and failed miserably over and over again at <laughs> diaphragm calls. I told myself I was gonna work on it this year. I did not do that, and I. So I probably won't. Honestly, my go-to, which I really feel comfortable with, has been like a pot call. Um, and I've got this old uh, Primos crystal, probably from Walmart. I don't know exactly sure where I got it from. But for some reason, that is just kind of my go-to thing. I've got a couple other pot calls that I've acquired over the years. and But there's just something about the familiarity of it. I know how to, you know, adjust on the on the surface uh, make it you know loud soft maybe a little bit raspier a little bit sharper so i really like pot calls um and i you know last year i was up in the sisseton area in the Sichi hollow area which is a lot of hardwood uh ravines and the thing i found with that one is with that with a pot call just kind of the be able to adjust the sound and really put out a really sharp loud sound and then also dial it back into a soft sound so that's kind of what the calls i do i do use a box call a little bit uh, but honestly i i've really liked using the pot call and uh it's kind of just been my go-to thing mm-hmm. yeah i have the, the same thing i don't it's not a it's a slate call it's you know it's obviously still pot call style but it's a, a primo yeah. slate i brought bought from i think it was bass pro when i was like a sophomore in high school I still carry that thing around. I love using it. I, you know, I've looked about at, those. Yeah. yeah. I've looked at like the Woodhaven crystal or 
glass pot call and it's like 90 bucks. And I'm like, eh, I still call turkeys. Yeah, I, got, <laughs> I got a really nice uh, custom one that was made for uh, the, the wild turkey federation that I volunteer with. And I just, but I can't bring myself to scuff up the surface. It's just this nice, really 25th <laughs> anniversary ones, but maybe someday I, I don't know. Maybe someday. Yeah. It's more of like a, a, a decoration at that point. <laughs> yeah. So slate call, you use box calls at all? Yeah. Um, I haven't done a whole lot with those. Um, what, what's nice about those I've found for myself, at least is again, kind of that when you really want to project, when I really want to project, if it's windy or you're in an area where you're kind of just kind of checking out, you can really make a lot of racket and shake some, shake some things up and try and get a, a gobbler to respond or something like that. So use that. Uh, but mostly just kind of stick that really, honestly, like the pot calls are just the versatility of them in my opinion, at least for my novice self, if you will, is what I've really felt has worked the best for me. Yeah. It, it carries a big range, um, but so do box calls. And then it, once again, it just like anything in hunting comes down to personal preference, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the thing with box calls too, is that, you know, if with the, with the rain and stuff that sometimes can make it a little bit difficult too. So. Yeah. And some slate calls too, if they get wet, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. But unlike I, I can do the, the diaphragm calls. I'm still not very good, <laughs> but but uh those are fun i've got i don't know it's it's become an addiction i think i've got like eight or nine now that i've just been playing with and there's only like one i actually use when i'm hunting <laughs> but it's like a, it's yeah. a woodhaven one it anyway i annoy the crap out of my girlfriend with those um yeah so do you use a turkey vest or no i know some people are more like uh i'm just gonna throw a fanny pack on and go into the woods or i'm just gonna wear yeah. my jeans grab a box collar slate and get out there um, I've really like I like I got a vest that uh, has like a a pad that's kind of att attached to it, so I've I've really I use that pretty much exclusively. I know I people have taught there's even people that talk about just even like a duffel bag because you can kind of set it beside you and have it open. But I like using the vest. I typically don't take a whole lot of gear when I go turkey hunting per se. You know I've got my calls and maybe a small knife and my tag and a water bottle or something. But it, I like the vest cause it's got that pad attached to it. It makes me be able to at least kind of hold tight for a little bit longer. I've tried it without using that pad before. And man, it's just, it gets uncomfortable. You start shuffling around a little mm -hmm. bit. So it's kind of nice having that vest that's got that pad attached to it. Yeah. I use the same thing and make sitting under a tree a lot better. Do you, yeah. you use a, so on in the topic of clothing, um, you, are you like a firm believer in a certain type of camo? Like I know a lot of people love the bottomland yeah. mossy oak, which I actually have that now too. Yeah. Some of it anyway, but I'm a real mismatch yeah. guy. I find the deals I buy, I wear it. It works. <laughs> or, or are you yeah. like a firm hard set? I'm going to buy this and use it. Um, I am one of those crazy solid colored people. <laughs> uh, and I, truth be told, you know, they're earth tones. So, mm -hmm. um, it's it's honestly worked really well for me. I do have some uh, like kuyu pattern stuff, but my where I've really leaned towards is uh, I'm a firm believer in like merino wool. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never in a million years would have thought that uh, several years ago, 
but I've had it too many times where I've been sitting out in the rain and just get soaked and I'm wearing that merino wool and I don't even sure it's wet but you don't even notice a difference in that warmth and and I just I'm a firm believer in spending a little bit of money on that stuff and the cool thing about my job is I uh people our companies are nice enough to give people like myself uh some discounts and uh, so I'm able to get that a little bit better price and so by no means do you need to go break your bank and get that stuff but if you're able to man it's it's really worth it yeah absolutely i just you know you can buy the high name brand merino wool stuff that that they're selling now or amazon's got a lot of cheap deals if someone's looking for a good one yeah. and that's what i have and it works great like you can't yeah. beat it but and honestly like that you know again with the solid colors things you can find companies that if you find a company that's not a hunting company, it, you can save a few, a few bucks, <laughs> you know, and it's just yep. as good a quality because for some reason you, you put, you make it a camo pattern or you put a hunting name on it. The price just skyrockets. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you can go to like Walmart they have those Wrangler outdoor pants that they sell on earth tones yeah. that are, I, I have four yep. or five pairs of them in gray and like a, just like a khaki tan that would blend in pretty well too. But, yeah. I do buy spend the extra dollars and get camo stuff. So I can't yeah. say too much. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I fully admit that I spend some more money and, but it, it truthfully, if you can, if you can swing it, it's worth it. It, it, it does make a difference when you get wet and mm-hmm. just you're a little bit more comfortable, kind of the same thing at the pad. You're able at least to sit still for a little while longer. Yeah. Makes a difference between having to fidget and scare the bird at the last second. Yeah. Um, are you a blind guy or are you i'm gonna sit under a tree and call it good uh i'd say i'm in the middle i Mm -hmm. I don't mind using one the thing i don't like about it is my style is to i don't sit still and after i just sat here and talked about being able to sit still longer i don't sit still (laughs) that well (laughs) so so it does help me sit still as long as i can tolerate in my own head but i do like to move around a little bit more um, I don't know. I just enjoy sitting in a spot and trying to, uh, you know, do some calling and find, get a, get a response and maybe adjust a little bit. You know, if you hear a farther off bird or something like that, um, I like walking ridges. Uh, I've come on more turkeys than I can count on ridges and been able to sit down and, and get some, get them to come in, not necessarily within shooting range, but just finding them. So that's been a really uh, tactic that I've really liked to use. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to use a, you know, a, a decent blind is pretty heavy and it's hard to kind of carry that around, but I'm not opposed to setting one up, especially if you kind of have an idea of where the birds are moving, you set one up ahead of time or the night before or something like that and mm-hmm. use it. I, I don't have a problem, problem using that. And then it's kind of nice too, when it's windy, get out of the wind uh, even with like deer hunting it's nice to almost be in a blind just because you kind of get out of that wind sometimes so yeah it's just more situation dependent and kind of where you're hunting yeah 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 i've got a blind i've never turkey hunting out of it i did some ground hunting for deer last year out of it and it was it was all right like you said it was nice to get out of the wind that's for sure yeah i do have like a little screen thing i guess you could Mm -hmm. call that a blind um, you know, it's, it's no more than kind of an X frame when you unfold it and it's fiberglass and it's pretty lightweight. So I do take that a lot. Um, it's, it's, that's a little bit nicer cause you can kind of set that up and then at least, you know, if you're setting down your call or something like that, since I don't do a whole lot with mouth calls, 
if I'm setting down that call, you got a little bit of something to block that movement and kind of hide behind a little bit. So I, I do use like a little kind of screen call um, mm-hmm. or, or screen blind, if you will. Yeah. That um, works pretty good. Just a little buffer, cover some movement. Yeah. 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 So I guess we should, are you a shotgun hunter or a bow hunter? We should clarify that. Cause I feel like bow hunters typically use a, yeah. use a blind. Turkey. I've pretty much exclusively, uh, shotgun hunted and i think it's more just out of my comfort level i'm not opposed to shoot or or i wouldn't be opposed to shooting one with a bow but i don't know just comfort level and availability of tags too really it's in south dakota it's not that hard to get a shotgun tag you know Mm -hmm. and i don't think really anywhere it is that hard but some places it might be so especially if they're portioned out differently but Mm -hmm. just kind of stuck to shotgun and it's been effective and I feel comfortable doing it. And like, and that's a lot of times too, you don't just feeling comfortably able to complete that, you know, that, that harvest, that, that kill of the bird is, it, it just makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. No, I, like I told you earlier, I'm a firm believer that shotguns are made for turkeys or turkeys (laughs) are made for shotguns. It's just, you know, it's just fun. You hear the you hear the boomstick yeah. go off. You see the bird flopping. I yeah. don't have to chase it yeah. down. I don't have to do anything. It just drops. Yeah. Um. So that's it. anything else in that special you're carrying in. Anything else you're doing? Any other gear that we not, can, you can think of we haven't covered? I've not really. You know, I've really as I the more I've done it, the more I found that a lot of things I just don't need. Um, you know, especially with the type of hunting and the locations I go to, obviously if you're hiking in, that's a different story, but the majority of the hunting that I'm doing is at most, you know, you, you spend 20 minutes to a half hour walking to where you're going to set up for the morning. So you really don't need much more on a little snack, a water bottle at most, you know, and then you have your calls and typically I won't necessarily clean the bird, but I'll have a little pocket knife just in case. But yeah, I, I try to keep it as minimal as possible. It's just less to carry too when you're you're heading out and not as heavy. Yeah, yeah. No, I I pretty much lightened it up quite a bit, especially the area I've hunted the last few years. I put on some miles, so it's once I found the birds, and now I know I don't have to put on as many miles. But it's just nice yeah. to be able to be really light and mobile and not have to worry about carrying a ton. Um, yeah. I guess. One thing I did forget to ask about going back to the gun, mm-hmm. what gauge do you, what gauge shotgun do you use? 12 gauge, 12 gauge. You're, you haven't I've, jumped I've out never... of the whole sub gauge thing yet. <laughs> no, I'm not one of those crazy 410 guys yet. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, there too, just, um, uh, the kind of the, the, being a newer hunter, you know, I found it's, a little bit easier to stick to kind of things that are available, you know, like finding shells that um, you can get a couple different kinds of pattern with and find a shell that you feel like works good with your gun. A lot easier to find the 12 gauge um, and, and a comfort level too. That's just what I've started with. The four tens and the 20 gauges weren't really a thing when I started. So um, I've stuck with the 12 gauge, but just being able to find again, being new and just being able to find that ammo that, um, and then even just, um, the chokes and all that stuff mm-hmm. is, it, it's just a easier, it's not quite as much effort being yeah. newer at it. Do you use the Turkey choke or do you just run a full choke? Uh, just like a modified full modified full. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I do. A... I do. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, I, I, the, the ammo that I've felt has worked or the shells that have worked well with the gun that I have, um, is, uh, it, it probably patterns best with a little bit wider than a full choke. Mm-hmm. It just, it's a, a little bit cleaner. It doesn't seem so like almost like a slug with the full. So <laughs> what, what, what's your max range that you shoot at a turkey with that with? I like doing that 20 to th- when I set up, I really shoot for that kind of um, decoy at about 10 to 15. And then, you know, that shooting range of 20, maybe 30, but that 20 is a really nice range. It just, um, again, with the, with the gun that I have and the ammo that I use, um, it, that 20 is a good range to shoot at. Yeah. Hey, closer, the better. In some cases, yeah. I'm shooting an, a, a, a turkey a turkey choke, and so if they get in too close, I'm gonna be completely blown right by them. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, and you know, and some of it too is um is born out of just the terrain that I've been in, uh, had the most success, and you know, I haven't had a lot of open ground. A lot of it, like for instance, like I was talking about in Sechi Hollow up north, um, that's a lot of trees, a lot of down. I had this one last year. I managed to find this bird kind of mid morning or these group of birds mid morning. And I got up on a knoll, sat down and called and called and called and they came and they got within 20 yards. But the problem is that 20 yards, there was a a hole in the trees, but there was a tree, a fallen tree across it. So there's this little triangle that was the only hole to get out in the opening that I could have shot into. And so, so it's some of that too, you know, it's just the, the terrain that I'm in doesn't really allow me to shoot that far you know i have had a i did have one bird that was probably maybe 35 yards that i shot out by down by uh, canton area um that kind of came up uh, i was more in an open grassy area that came up off a lake shore out of the trees and popped up so but the majority of the stuff that i've done it's it's a little limited too with the distance that i can even shoot too so that's Mm -hmm. some of it also yeah once again, situation dependent where your hunting is going to yeah. determine what mm-hmm. you're bringing, which is the name of the game in all hunting, but also here too. Do you, do you use a, mm-hmm. any sort of sight or you just use iron sights on your, on your Turkey gun or. Uh, just, yeah, just the B I've got a, uh, my gun's got a front and rear, which has okay. worked really nice actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit nicer than just the bead. It's, I felt it's helped me kind of line that up a little bit better having those front and rear ones yeah see i just use my waterfowl gun <laughs> throw in my undertaker <laughs> joke and so i just got the front bead and i i will mm-hmm. say i've probably i think i've missed i'm about 50 50 missed the same amount of birds that i shot so <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. i should figure something else out <laughs> yeah uh, or just get better be a better shot that might help yeah um yep. so you mentioned decoys we'll get into a little more of uh exact setups are using are you usually bringing in like a hen just a single hen are you bringing in jake and a hen um i've got i i there again you know like we've kind of come back to it's a really situational thing Mm -hmm. like that story i was telling about cg hollow that was a really want you know it was late in the morning kind of wandering looking getting looking for a response so i didn't have much time to set up in fact that time i didn't have a decoy and i don't know if that's what ultimately didn't draw them in a little bit more but i've i've seen a mixed bag so i typically will have a a a jake and a hen with me um it it just really depends on Mm -hmm. what 
what the situation is on whether I put it out. Honestly, I've, I've had a lot of good success with just a hen. I've had a lot of good success with both. It's hard to, hard to say one way or the other, but I, I think having kind of that, that toolbox, if you will, with you of a couple options is really, is really the best direction to go when it comes to decoys. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you done any of the Reaper stuff talking about decoys? The, as like the fanning or? Yeah, like fanning. No, no, I'm not, I'm not brave enough to do that. <laughs> no, I don't have I the have balls this, to do that. <laughs> I have this, I have this fear of, I, I, cause you know, I'm one of those people that if something's going to go wrong, it probably is going to happen to me. I have this fear of doing that. And then the next thing I know, we got like this crack shot across the field and I lose a couple of hairs <laughs> t- and tail feathers off the fan that I'm showing. Uh, so no, I don't, I, that's not me. So, yeah, I mean, I hunt pretty much primarily. It, it is all public land so i have not broken that out yet because uh it's a little it's a little scary thinking about that yeah i mean hey more power to them it works for guys but man for me it's just i don't know i don't it scares (laughs) me a little yeah just a little bit so we got our gear ready to go several totes you got it down to one tote you're bringing with you Mm -hmm. um when you're trying to find a place to hunt, do you do any e-scouting or are you pretty much your boots on the ground? You got your coffee in hand. You're listening for gobbles in the morning or evening. What do you do? So what I kind of have found has been a good process for me is obviously, you know, based on the tag that I get for the year, you know, in South Dakota, it's generally by County. Once I kind of get that sorted out, I'll break it down to the next level. Okay. I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll I'll start, I should back up. Maybe I'll start out by the the areas that I want to go. And then it gets broken down by the County because of the tag you get. So then I'll kind of start to really focus in. All right. Where is, um, where is some, I really like the, the river bottom, the kind of rolling Hills next to river bottoms. So I'll start looking for that sort of situation. Um, the James river with kind of that flooded ag land sort of stuff is a good thing that I've really looked for. So that's the sort of, terrain i typically look for um you know because if you if you really get deep do a deep dive into like turkey kind of ecology and their behavior you know they typically will roost on those trees that are on hillsides because they like to pitch they don't like to they don't like to fly that far so they'll pitch down to that um the higher elevation off that tree on the hillside so that's the sort of terrain that i'll kind of look for um an area that has a lot of that, um, has, clo- has food, you know, whether it be ag fields, uh, uh areas that are going to have meadows where seeds would be or something like that. I'll kind of key in on those and then I'll break it down even further to like, okay, so where specifically are there kind of these hidey holes where they're maybe going to be a little bit sheltered. They're going to be able to, uh, when they're roosting, they can kind of there's a kind of a one direction of travel for predators. They'll be able to see that sort of thing. And then, and then then the last level is kind of like, okay, so we've now got that. Where's a good roost area that has kind of a good air uh, travel paths so they can get to that food. They can get, they can escape if they want. Uh, They've got that hillside to pitch onto. You know, I kind of try to start at a big level and then work my way down into where, it's, it makes sense that a turkey would roost and um, spend their time, you know, because again, you, you do a deep dive and you look at the, the research that's out there. Um, they really don't move 
far from their roost roosting area that much they you know they spend a lot of time in that area so that's the kind of the the process that i'll kind of look at usually when i'm uh e-scouting or even just if i'm in an area you know it's a little bit harder when you don't have that satellite view but kind of go in and find those those river those hillside areas those close to food sources that sort of stuff so and then so when you're doing it e-scouting so you found kind of these these roost trees or possible roost trees and mm-hmm. a lot of them under do you, do you find that they're when you actually confirm are there any certain cardinal direction like are they typically on a north south east west hillside or is it just dependent on those travel routes and those food availabilities um yeah i you know i haven't really been able to pin down uh like a like a direction you know like you're saying the north north like a north facing south facing but what what really does seem like i said seems to be pretty predictable is they're gonna have that hillside to one side of that roast roost tree so they don't have to pitch down so far and then it's gonna be a good uh a fairly straight shot to food source escape route that sort of thing so when you say like an escape route is that somewhere back into uh, a, a um, yeah, heavily like covered a, like, area go yeah go into a draw um you know there's gonna they're gonna be able to get to an area where there's low low brush um maybe some more trees with those low-hanging branches you know because oh they love those oak trees if you go up to the northeast part of the state um all those bur oaks up there they just absolutely love those and you'll find you'll find feathers and turkey turkey poop everywhere um, underneath those you know so so they'll just kind of try and keep it seems to be that they'll try and keep close to that sort of area but you know they the the tree is their safety zone so to speak yeah and so you found a good spot or several good spots on uh, while you're e-scouting how many do you usually like to have when you go to check out an area um you you know the 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 areas i've spent the most time in is uh mostly it's they're not big areas so i try to identify maybe one general area with a handful of different spots to check out you know um it it always it never seems to never fail that i'll go in with to a place that i haven't necessarily actually physically scouted um you know so i try to have some good general a handful of general areas with those those possible roosting areas maybe a water source nearby um uh, uh a short distance to like an ag field that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh where they can just a handful of areas that i can then kind of work along those areas and call my typical setup will be is i'll get to a place that seems to be a good place that first day sit down do the calling and really take in where okay where is that gobbling early in the morning happening um do am i close am i not close uh the next do i need to move you know after they've kind of gone down and started to flock up or find that hen you know uh doing doing the next morning do i need to be a little bit further down this ridge line just try and really have a have a generalized area as the thing that's really worked well for me so do you normally try, I mean, so ideally we'd all like to be able to scout an area before we actually hunt it, mm-hmm. but, it, but do you always, sounds like you don't always have time for that. You just go in and you're, 
right away just trying to locate yeah. birds in the opening morning yeah uh yeah you know um i'm a little bit adventurous if you will i don't like to necessarily always go to the same place so um i've done it a couple times where i've gotten to hunt the same area a couple times so it's a little bit easier so for instance like the the couple birds i've gotten in lincoln lincoln county it's in the same area so i kind of know that area um, I've adjusted where I've sat just based maybe on something I learned. I, I'll sit down in an area that worked well last time, the previous year, and maybe I'll adjust a little bit because of what I hear in the morning or something like that. But I do have that. But uh, like last year, I kind of went outside of my uh, comfort zone and decided, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to hunt Seachi Hollow. And so I just really had to kind of come in there cold with a generalized area of, uh, of what looked good, what had good habitat and start cold and, and use kind of that first day of that first morning of hunting more as a scouting day than an actual hunting day, to be honest, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's steamroll into that. Let's, uh, okay. it's opening morning. You're coming into this new place. Haven't hunted it before. Haven't been able to scout what uh what time are you getting in there and what's your first play i know you said you're going to do a little bit of calling but what what kind of calls and uh what sequence um i try to get in there as early as i can you know sometimes the the, the thing with again with not really knowing or only kind of really seeing it by pictures you have an idea of how long it's going to take to where you want to be but mm-hmm. it always seems like it takes longer so yep. i try to get in there um <laughs> so that there's uh, that's still dark when i'm sitting down uh just so there's that cover that uh when you're kind of getting set up because you know once you sit down you're always kind of moving things around and getting it shuffled around and so i so i try to stay, make sure that's still dark but uh so i don't know maybe half uh, at least well, i want to be ready as soon as that light is kind of coming up uh, so it just varies on how quickly you're there mm-hmm. after that I'll kind of, once it starts getting a little bit light, I'll do some soft, real soft kind of chirps and calling and, or, or not calling, <laughs> of course, calling <laughs> soft chirps, uh, maybe some, just some short runs, maybe, I, you know, I just kind of just something real soft to kind of make a little noise and see if I can get a response a little bit. And, and, and it's, and it's been interesting that in the years past, it seems like I'll get a lot of hen response too in the mornings. So try to mimic what, what they're doing, what noises they're making, try and maybe, uh, uh get that gobbler to pay attention to me maybe a little bit because I'm doing something a little bit similar to what they're doing. And then, uh, as soon as the gobbling starts in, I'll maybe hit it a little bit harder with some, some more cuts um you know maybe make it sound like i'm a little bit agitated or something like that is uh, get a little bit more of a response see if i can get some some noises not only gobblers but hens kind of talking and really get an understanding of what those birds are doing and what or what noises they're they have and what where they're at what what's gonna what's gonna happen in the next couple hours or so you know Right. So at this point, are you set up? Or are you still waiting to hear exactly trying to find more where they're I'll, heavily located? Yeah. I'll, yeah. Yeah. No, I'll set up. I'll, like I said, or I, yeah, I guess maybe it wasn't really that clear, but try, I try to be set and ready to shoot. Um, as, a, uh, as that light, it's getting light. You know, I want to be ready for that as soon as it's getting light and maybe there's some movement. Um, 
it, you know, and it depends on the morning. Sometimes it seems like you can see a lot better earlier on than you can, but I like, as soon as it's getting light, I like to be completely ready. And, uh, a lot of times not knowing where they are, you're, it's all window dressing and you're just kind of set up and there's this dirt, this decoy sitting out there. But, um, I, I find it, you know, you might as well make the effort. You never know. You may be right on a roost tree and they'll come out to you. So you might as well do that. But, uh, I like, I do like to be completely kind of set up and then spend some time, uh, hopefully trying to get them to come into my setup. But if not, at least learning what is going on in that general area. Do you ever use a, like a, a locator call, like an owl or a crow call in the mornings to try to find a more specified location? Um, yeah, I have. And, 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 and truth be told, I personally haven't had that much difference than say, just doing like, uh, um, a real hard cut, a hand sound or something like that. So, mm-hmm. so I don't typically use it. I, I would have, I'll have a, a raven or an owl call with me. Uh, more for okay there's nothing's going on let's just try this and see what happens so i i usually will just kind of stick to that real soft pin chirps um early on and try and mimic a little bit if i'm hearing some hens and and see if i can get a response from a gobbler uh whether it be close or far Mm -hmm. yeah i know that i feel well I don't know if it's necessarily new, but I think locator calls have come on a lot more in the last couple of years, whether it's the crow call or the owl hooter. Yeah. Um, and I, I use them too and, and they work pretty well, but like you said, I've also got them to gobble off the roost with just a, just a yeah. quick, quick yeah. cluck on the lot, slate call. Yeah. A lot of guys talk about using like coyotes, coyote calls too. Yeah. I've heard um, that too. Especially like the, like the more Western areas, this, they seem to elicit a pretty good response from them. Yeah, which, you know, a little bit of a bunny trail, but it really kind of seems weird to me that one of their predators is going to make a noise and then the gobbler is going to make a noise back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, but I suppose, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Think about humans. We all like yell at each other. So Yeah, that's true, too. Whether, whether we know we're going to get beat up or not, we still yell at each other. So I don't <laughs> know, maybe it's the same thing. <laughs> maybe it's like uh, turkey's still drunk from the night before. but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all right. So you're set up. Let's say everything's going pretty well. What, uh, so you're going to mimic what the hens are doing. You get, you piss off a hen, let's say you get the hen to start coming mm-hmm. towards you. And then they just start hanging up just outside the range. Let's say a hundred yards away. What's your next play? Um, you know, really, if it's a hen that's hung up, I really just try and try and keep them active because, you know, what's better than a, on a rubber decoy than a re, than an actual hen, you know? So try and keep them occupied. I've never had a ton of luck, but it seems like you can get them to hang around for a little while. Um, they, they kind of check it out and when they don't really find that much, they lose interest and wander off. But I try to try to keep their interest too. And hope, and I'm hoping for kind of a response from between that back and forth for myself and that hand that maybe a gobbler will will kind of decide like he wants to see what's going on over there mm-hmm. so let's say it's a, it's a pair that's so the hen starts coming towards you but yet you get the tom that hangs up you know seven mm-hmm. yards away 100 yards away what is there a strategy that you use or is it a way you place your decoys to make sure that doesn't happen or, or what do you 
typically try to do to avoid that or fix it? Well, if I'm using decoys, like I said, you know, I, I've preferred to keep the decoys a little bit closer. Um, my theory, and I've read this a few other places too, where the, so I can't take complete credit is my theory is um, if they're, let's say they're going to stop 10 yards from a decoy or what they think is another bird you don't want to put your decoy say at like your shooting range because then they're then they're 10 yards past your shooting range or whatever mm -hmm. so i try to keep that decoy close um if i'm in a situation where i get set up kind of quickly and don't have a decoy out um i'll i'll try and do the tactic i usually resort to is maybe stop calling or try and do some quiet chirps like that you know that bird that was interesting to them has maybe moved away uh maybe i'll try and direct sound a little bit you know it's and it's tough to really direct it because you're truthfully you're only 20 yards away from them but just try and do little things to make it seem like that noise is a different area is moved away and try and try and get them to maybe come underneath that tree or whatever um it, so and if there's a decoy out, like I said, I try and keep that decoy close and, and similar thing, you know, but I would imagine I can't be in their brain, but if they see a bird and you're making these other noises, it maybe isn't quite as effective if there's not that decoy there, you know, it doesn't quite make as much sense to them that the noise has changed. So, um, but just try a lot of different things, maybe even just sit there quietly and hope and see if they'll start to get more interested like why hasn't this bird responded to what i'm doing you know mm -hmm. yeah it's a tough situation i think it's a staple of turkey hunting you get a tom out just outside the range and never comes in yeah exactly, <laughs> more of a taunt yeah. than anything but yeah. yeah and once again it's just what does that bird want to hear and just playing around with it yeah. i think silent treatment you know as turkey hunters <laughs> and most hunters you just want to hear the gobble so you just keep gobbling i think sometimes the best <laughs> yeah, thing you can do is just to I, stay quiet yeah yeah well and that and, and not only that it seems like you maybe shoot yourself in the foot a little bit uh because you just have so much fun making that turkey gobble they really just start to question on what exactly is going on you know and they don't even <laughs> show up but you're just having so much fun like teasing them you know so yeah that's 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 a hard battle to fight when you're sitting there enjoying it you know once again it's just like humans when a when a chick seems too interested you're like what the heck is going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, um so let's say things had let, well let's say that situation worked out you got that time to come in you got the bird down mm -hmm. awesome great morning let's look at the other side of the card you're calling you're hearing birds in the area you hear hens you hear maybe multiple gobblers you don't see them but you hear them calling back to you constantly what do you do um so i'll usually like what i have liked to do is i'll try and give it as long as it seems like they're responding um and i've been and believe me i've been burnt so many times by this this strategy but i try to sit as long as it seems like they're responding and then if they don't respond after you know a, a decent amount of time it, it kind of depends on how much it seems like they moved away from you as they were making noise and how much or how much they've stayed close um but get up and then try and move towards that sound and and try, like i said trust me i've been burnt on this where i stand up and a stupid bird but 
it has overall has been pretty worked pretty good to kind of as soon as things have quieted down to be able to get up and then start working your way towards that sound uh finding a ridge line to get on and try and find that that draw that they're in find that um that creek bottom that they've gone to to drink or um find that that route that they've you know that's kind of a a little hole if you will or draw where they're not seen as well to get out to their food source try and work my way towards that is usually the tactic i'll take yeah that's pretty much exactly how i got my bird last year <laughs> yeah um but uh so they're calling 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 you get up and go let's say this other scenario that seems to be another staple of turkey hunting you get them gobbling like crazy on the roof. As soon as you hear them fly down, they shut up. Are you doing the same thing you're doing? Are you following that ridge to see what draw they went into or, or what's your play there? Um, yeah, kind of the same thing, you know, um, that if that's the case, you know, if it really seems like they had a response, uh, but then all of a sudden it's gone, I start to really question on, okay, what do they have that, um, maybe I didn't realize whether it be a hen beyond them that I couldn't hear and they move towards that hen. So I really started to kind of question, okay, what are they, what are they doing? You know? So, um, again, I'll try and move towards that, that general area, but maybe a little bit more question on, especially if I haven't felt like they've moved towards me at all, if they've just pretty much all of a sudden gone, try to try to be careful. And then maybe I'll maybe even circle it, make a, like a half circle, if you will, in a kind of a different direction and see if I can, you know, for example, this is, I guess the best way to explain this is where I was last spring, there was kind of a, up on top of the hill, there's some flat spots some grassy areas that I was mostly starting the morning in, but you could work your way down into the draw that was fairly wide open. So what I did one morning is instead of kind of working towards the, um, the roost area, through that grassy along the tree line there um, went back down into that draw and almost made kind of a half circle to what seemed to be the area they were into because there's just so many draws that they made, you know, that they were possibly hanging out in and uh, looking for grubs and seeds and that sort of thing. So just take a different approach to it. And maybe because maybe if they truly have stopped and moved away from you, maybe you're going to, circle into that area that direction that they traveled and if if you sit down after a little bit and start calling a little bit they may be as cl uh, closer to you than they were when you were initially set up so i just try to kind of play off of what it seems like the direction they've gone you know it's really hard to tell sometimes with the echoes but um really just play off of what seems to be uh, that direction uh, that direction of noise that direction of travel that they might be doing when you're doing that and you're kind of following this ridge line or circling background, are you doing any calling or are you just kind of coming in quiet and doing like more of a spot and stock kind of thing, glassing as you go, or just kind of keeping your, um, I'll, I'll call occasionally and that's more to just try and elicit a little bit of a response. So I know where, um, no, know, know where I need to work towards or, um, maybe get them to stop and turn around or something like that. Uh, but it's, it, I found that in, in certain areas, it's just really hard to not try and get some response because it's just, it's hard to see. It's hard to see in the woods that, you know, that early on in the spring, everything's that dark brown color. It's the same color as them. So it's really hard to see them 
if they're not out completely in the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they blend in pretty well, which is uh, yeah why they get old. <laughs> That's yeah. why they're fun to yeah. hunt. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, and then just moving around trying to find them. I think it's it's one of the main staples of turkey hunting. Unless you're perfectly happy with sitting in the mornings and they don't come in, then you just leave, come back. I mean, I think that can be a good strategy sometimes too. Is just you know there's birds in the area and you call at them if you have multiple yeah. days and you're not in a hurry, just come back next morning. Yeah. And there's you know you hear about that all the time. There's guys that will just they set up and that's where they are for the day, and then come about noon that nice bird will wander in and they got their tag filled, you know? So, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that definitely works too. I, I know plenty of people who pretty much they set up in a spot and that's it. Yeah. And I don't know, it works for them, but like you said, yeah. I, I just like you, I like to get up and move around. So yeah, I'm not exactly, one that can yeah. sit still very long, but yeah, I've it does work. Of, yeah, yeah. I've got a little bit of small dog syndrome, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I gotta be moving. But it, yeah. I mean, as soon as those, I've heard that sometimes late morning sitting up setting can be some of the best time because they'll tend those hens in the mornings and the hens will go and sit yeah. on their eggs or whatever. And toms yeah. will break away and they're looking for some side action. Yeah. Two years ago, me and my buddy were, uh, uh we were hitting these, uh, small, like kind of walk-in areas, um, up by up in like the, again, in the Sisseton area, actually. And, um, we, it was about 11 o'clock and we roll past this little tiny chunk of, I mean, you could throw a football across this walk-in area and, um, and there they sat just right next to the road is, and there's, uh, maybe two, two, three hens, a couple gobblers would strutting away. I mean, it's just mid morning and they're having a great old time, time showing off their stuff, you know, and we, we did, man, I managed to get a bird out of there. That was a, uh, actually a really nice bird that i got out of there but it yeah it's it seems like you you kind of have a lull but then you really actually do if you stick with it you'll see some nice action at that 10 11 even noon time frame mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's just like almost like hunting a rut <laughs> yeah, yeah in the fall you know you get action throughout the whole day when when they're horned up and they're ready to go yeah how, how does your strategy change when it comes to hunting the evening do you do anything different or do you even hunt evenings? I, you know, I've really actually throt- throttled back my evening hunts. Um, unless I really know roost areas and the past couple of years, like I said, I've, I've, ch- I've tried to challenge myself a little bit, go to new places, the roost areas. I don't know them as well. Um, but, um, the areas that I have spent a little bit, even if it's a few days and kind of have a pretty good understanding of what's generally going on um i'll try and get in to that roost area and more it's in my strategy is more in my mind an ambush sort of th- sort of situation um and less about trying to uh, necessarily call them in uh it just i personally haven't had a whole lot of success in the evenings of calling necessarily uh, i'll maybe make a little bit of noise just to try and get uh, again a response so i have an understanding of where they're moving if they're close by and and they will respond back but um if i do out go out in the evening i really honestly view it more as okay what am i going to learn to be able to set up then in the morning because i have a really good idea of where they went where they've roosted and maybe i've even seen them roost in specific trees 
and I can kind of formulate a game plan because I've sat there and, and viewed the whole terrain around the area where I'm waiting for them in that kind of ambush scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a really good opportunity to get that roost that bird in the evening and get out there again in the morning. Yeah. If you have the time to get out there in the morning. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that's a great strategy and it's worked for me a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do, how do things change? Let's, let's say you're in the area, you've kind of figured them out next day comes and you just have, let's say crap weather. You got super high winds. Is that going to affect you at all or, or what you're doing? Uh, uh, yeah, I won't, you know, I, I've, when my setups, if I'm in like doing more of it in kind of the trees setup, if you will, if, if I know that roost tree is within a group, uh, further off of the edge of the tree line um i like to sit inside that tree line if they're in there but the thing when it's really super windy you know again if you kind of go back and read about like their behavior and that sort of thing when it's windy they do seem to stick to those edges a lot more they don't like the fact that it's so noisy and they can't concentrate on what what noises there are so in that sort of scenario maybe i'll if there's say uh, a tree line but then another kind of small group of trees or bushes i'll try and focus on being further away from that tree line and um it's a little bit harder because then they got to come across that open ground but it it's really seemed like i will see more birds if if i stay away from that tree line because that's that area they're going to be working in and if i would just go um tromping in there trying to get to that right off that tree line that tree edge if you will um it ends up just scaring them off so i'll try to maybe hang back a little bit more in a in a uh, um, an area where i can kind of hide but it it would actually be actually technically more out in the open if you will Mm -hmm. have have you noticed that when kind of those windy days does it affect their behavior at all as far as where they strut or what they do when they come off the roost I, you know, I've never noticed anything real specific, but like, other than, like I said, it seems to be, they just, they seem to like to be not necessarily in the trees as much. Cause it, you know, like I said, that it, it seems to be that they just don't like that noise. Mm-hmm. It's hard for them to hear, you know, if there's a predator or something coming, cause you got that tree noise, the, the branches moving, the leaves moving. Um, so they try to be out where it's a little, even though it's windy, it's still, there's less going on as far as noise. Mm-hmm. So that's, that it seems like I, I have better luck with that kind of more open area and that their behavior changes a little bit that way from what I've noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, What about heavy precipitation or even light precipitation? Does that, that change at all? And that's, that's kind of the same thing. It seems to, they, they, they like to stay on that tree edge that, that you know, that kind of that transition zone from grass to trees uh, they just don't they don't like that noise it appears mm-hmm. you know I, again i can't be in their brain and know exactly what they're thinking but if i had to equate it to more like a human you know you think about being in a building with a tin roof and then how noisy that is just stepping outside that door even if it's right next to it you lose so much ambient noise by just moving away from that and that's kind of what it, it really seems to be their behavior mimics that they just, they want to be guarded in some cover, but they 
don't want to be in the thick of it necessarily because it's just so noisy. Mm-hmm. And when, I guess when you think about a turkey, it makes total sense because their number one defense, I guess, would be, be their eyesight. And well, yeah. no, yeah. not that, that doesn't make any sense. Wow, what am I talking? Well, they, I mean, yeah, their <laughs> eyesight mean, is they're really good eyesight, and then they're hearing too. You know, mm-hmm. that that's that's a big part of it. You know, their their vocalizations, the little things that we think we can do with a call isn't even close to what those hens will do. I mean, if you mm-hmm. really sit there and listen to a hen in the morning, like you couldn't even dream about some of the things that they do with their vocalizations. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's crazy. Well, and then I guess, yeah, the, the movement, I guess that's all going on inside the trees and the, and the sound. Too. Yeah. I mean, they have difficulty yeah. identifying predators, too. So I guess what, yeah. I, what I said was completely idiotic, but... <laughs> no 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 that yeah i mean yeah i just have it was like i had a thought and then the train (laughs) left the station and i completely lost what i was doing yeah anyway but um moving on (laughs) so let's say anyway um we're hunting you know south dakota has a lot of different trains. we got the hills we got the prairie we got the ag land yeah how are you going to change your setup or what you're doing in the mornings based on where you're hunting or are you going to change it yeah um you know if i'm more in an ag land area i really like to you know if going back to like the scouting we talked about maybe spend a little time in the evenings or early or i should say late afternoons and watch what they're where they're feeding uh because you know they have those those food sources those bean fields those corn fields that they may be in no different than like a pheasant or whatever, you know? So I use that a little bit more as kind of a gauge for, okay, if they're, I know they're feeding here. So what's in this area, where are they going to, where are they going to feel safe? You know, um, where's their pressure too? I had a bird that I, I, it was maybe several birds, but I'm going to call it one because it makes me feel better that it was only one that got the best (laughs) of me, but down by Yankton and, um, I went down there three years in a row and this bird did the same thing. I swear every time I was out there went on to some public, a little square of public on a walk-in and because it had to be because they just felt safe. You know, there wasn't as much pressure. Um, There's food source, there's water, there's all of that. So I try to use that in the more ag land areas. Okay. So what, you know, what's a good, less pressured area where they have readily available things um move to like a more forested area say like the Sichi hollow kind of the same thing is their ag nearby where's their water where are their draws where they're going to feel comfortable being in um and then of course you get to the more mountainous stuff really similar actually you know and actually probably more so with water you know they talk about with some of the subspecies um when you go hunt them you know, like a Miriam's or, or a Rio or something, they're way more dependent on water than like actual water sources than say like an Eastern, because that Eastern is getting a lot of um, water from their nutrition also. So, you know, so focusing more on, you know, for like instance, in the Black Hills, is there a creek bottom? Is there a river bottom? What, what, is there a lake, um, a spring, whatever, just really focusing more on that necessary and then of course you, you always have to take consideration the food but the water you know is a big component that i think you can really rely on to see 
where are they going to roost by where are they going to spend their time by um and where where is ultimately just actually a lot of birds are going to congregate mm-hmm. once again the birds just always need water some sort of yeah. security and and a food source um and it's just finding out what the different one is in each, in each situation just like you said yeah um well that unless you have any what what was your number one tip be for a brand new turkey hunter um don't be afraid to to try some different things try you know they're just so what i've really enjoyed about them and maybe it's because i'm a terrible turkey hunter which is probably more of it than anything else (laughs) but uh just trying different things i've had really cool interactions uh with birds um, that I haven't even had a shot at, but I've had interactions with them just because I tried something a little bit different. You know, I you know, last year, that bird that I was talking about that I had that little triangle that I was hoping they'd come from through, I circled around and hoofed it up a hill and plopped down on a tree in a spot where I'd never normally go because the shooting lanes are terrible, but it was a really cool interaction because I watched, um, you know, some hens fight it out. I watched some jakes kind of go back and forth a little bit with each other, just being able to observe that. So just trying little tweaks here and there and not being afraid to mess it up. And, and, and maybe you walk away empty handed that day, you know, that would be my suggestion. Don't, don't, don't think that you have to walk away with something every time you go out, just Mm -hmm. try, try something new. And if it messes it up, try something different the next day yeah and i think i heard somewhere that a lot of well it's true for every bit of hunting the more you know and the more you're out in the woods or in the deer woods or in the turkey woods just the more you observe and the more you know i mean that's just going to serve you so much more than say slinging a bird over your shoulder because you did the same thing year and year year and year again and if you just continue to try different things and, and the more you get to learn with each occasion the more successful you'll be and the more you'll know and you just have uh yeah. be an awesome woodsman yeah but uh one last question kind of a fun one if you could hunt with anyone dead or alive you know, turkey hunt specifically dead or alive who would it be i'd probably have to say my grandpa yeah uh he i I don't think he ever actually turkey hunted, but, um, so he did, uh, growing up in Montana, obviously he had a lot of opportunities for a lot of different species and he, uh, hunted for a number of years when he was younger, uh, when my mom was younger, but, um, he got to a point in life where he just didn't necessarily pursue it anymore. Um, it wasn't like he was against it. It wasn't, I think he got to a point where he just kind of been there, done that. And in, decided that he was going to enjoy uh seeing wildlife more than necessarily harvesting it or taking it or killing it or whatever you want to call it and so i think it would just been fun to have been back you know when he was younger and be able to go and sit in the woods with him and or even tell him like hey you should should come out and do turkey hunting with me i think it'd be just fun to hang out in the woods and um he was such a lover of everything nature uh, it would have been fun to really experience that with them because that's ultimately like why I like to go out and do it. 
um, like I said, I'm a terrible hunter really when it boils down to it, <laughs> but I go out, <laughs> I go out because I enjoy being out there. I enjoy, um, whether it's a big deer, um, a Jake, whatever. I enjoy that, that taking that and taking it home, no matter the size of the animal and making something cool out of the, the meat. Um, it's just, it's an enjoyment of it more than anything else. And I think that would be the best part about going out with him. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a lot of fun. Um, so if some of you people don't know, Greg is a pretty big deal in Sioux Falls area. <laughs> Tell us now, about your now new... you're building me up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your new position that you just took uh, with NWTF. Well, um, so, um, again, with the enjoyment of it, of, of just being outside nature and wildlife, um, I've always had a strong pull to try and make sure that, um, those things are conserved, uh, per, uh, for my kids, for other people, uh, for people like myself who get into hunting later on in life, making sure that opportunity is there. And so a big, a big part of my life is conservation organizations, um, and the work that they do. I, I volunteer with a local uh, National Wild Turkey Federation chapter, and our biggest part for that organization on a national level is that we are a fundraising kind of tool for them. Um, and, you know, the, the Wild Turkey Federation in South Dakota, since the inception of what's called a super fund, um, which is basically a, um, a money, a money fund, a fund of money that goes towards conservation items or conservation initiatives. Uh, they've, you know, since that started in this state, uh, the NWTF has raised over $1.5 million um, at, uh, towards that initiative. And we're talking everything from habitat. So um, we're planting oak trees, we're planting aspen trees out west. Um, they did a big uh, uh, restoration project up in that Slim Buttes area where I, uh, where I was deer hunting that we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, but, um, so things like that, uh, they also access is a big part of their initiative. Um, so whether it be a parking lot at a BLM, um, making it so it's easier to access through a fence line, um, at a national forest area, uh, a walk-in area, helping helping the GFP uh, provide funds towards improving that, um, you know, walk-ins are, walk-ins are really important. And I give a lot of kudos to the private landowners that put their land in walk-in areas. Um, it's, it's a big part truly when you look at what is available to hunt at hunt on in South Dakota, a lot of it is walk-in and a lot of it is really good stuff. Um, and then of course there's the heritage of hunting. Um, the heritage of sport sportsmen, which would be, uh, they do a lot of support of, uh, trap teams for high schools, um, conservation camps in the Hill, the, the wildlife Federation in South Dakota has a conservation camp for kids every year that are interested in getting into the, like a career of wildlife, whether it be biology management, um, enforcement, whatever it may be, they do a camp. So, so they've put a lot of money in our state and then very effectively towards helping those kind of areas of conservation. And so that's what, what's really important to me is to help out with that. And so I, I actually uh, became the chapter president just this spring. And so our biggest thing that we do is every spring we do a banquet 
Um, it's the traditional sort of banquet. There's live auctions, silent auctions, um, raffle games. Um, and the best part about it is walking away, raising, you know, say $30,000 um, in one night to then apply towards all these good things that are happening so that then in the future, other people can enjoy it just like I do every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those banquets, uh, I haven't been to that one specifically, but I was, I've done some Ducks Unlimited well, banquets in Iowa, but. Well, you have to come next year. Yeah, oh, I plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> if i'm around so, i wasn't around this year yeah, but. Uh, yeah um so what if someone would like to get involved with whether it be nwtf or well, let's just say nwtf mm. they want to go to the yeah. banquet but they want to get a little more involved how would they do that yeah. or how would they even follow along with nwtf's goals that are um, in South Dakota? yeah so so of course there's um NWTF is fairly active on like social media. So you can kind of see some things of what, it, what they're about, uh, what they're doing um, in that sort of arena, but uh, take the leap, no different than just taking a chance and going out and trying it. If you're new to it, take the leap, get a hold of myself uh, or your local chapter, wherever you may be, there's chapters all over South Dakota. Uh, call me if you want, I don't care. I'll point, I'll connect you with the person that you need to talk to if you're not from the Sioux Falls area. But um, just reach out to them and say, how can I be involved? And really, honestly, the biggest thing is we need people um, that are going to, and it's not a huge time commitment, you know, maybe take a little bit of time to contact the business and say, hey, you know, this is what we're trying to do and raise some money, whether it be for Habitat. Um, uh, Would you have anything you can get? And, you know, and that's not everybody's wheelhouse. I, I recognize that it's not my wheelhouse to just cold call people but a lot of times we all know we know people who own businesses we know people who um who like to give to those sorts of things just having those people that can be used as a resource to reach out to whether it be a business owner they know um a business owner they don't know a friend a family member that was willing to kind of help out big or small we don't care we'll take we'll take whatever you're willing to give us um and, and be involved and be part of our group that reaches out and tries to bring in more people. We call them, bring them into the flock, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but boom. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, it, we we really like having those people that are willing to take a little bit of time, and it doesn't have to be a lot. Honestly, it does not. And and get people to recognize the importance of the outdoors. If there's anything that we saw. And probably the main reason I don't have a turkey tag where I wanted a turkey tag this year is because last year when everything was shut down, people realized they could still get outside. They could still enjoy the outdoors. They could still go turkey hunting. Um, and I think that held over this year. I, mm-hmm. It is mind boggling why I did not get a turkey tag in that county because there's always turkey tags available in that county. Mm-hmm. But I think it's honestly a holdover of people realizing that, hey, it's pretty great going out in the spring and enjoying outside whether i whether i get a turkey or not it's a lot it having that opportunity is really great so yeah and that was you know among all the horrible things that happened in 2020 that was one of the i think one of the most important things and in, in the silver lining in all of this was that we're getting people to realize the importance of you know the outdoors uh, conservation and especially the public land that's available um so yeah if someone want to get a hold of you how could they do it well um 
I, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can put my, and actually, believe it or not, that probably the easiest way, which I'll put a little plug in. So um, the part, the, the group that you're a part of uh, the podcast group company, if you will, is Sportsman's mm-hmm. Nation. And they're actually a 2% certified company. And if you're not first familiar with what 2% for conservation is, um, I'm a part of that uh, regional kind of committee also for South Dakota. Um, if you go to their website, it's fishandwildlife.org. And you look on the map and you look in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you'll find my name, you'll find my email address, you'll find my phone number. Um, and what 2% conservation stands for is 1% of time and 1% 1% of money. So basically, we're saying people who are willing to step up and live that lifestyle of giving back not only a little bit of money at a banquet, but that time to go out and clean up trash at uh, an access area. Um, that's what's important right now because we have a lot of these organizations and they do a lot of good work, but sometimes what gets left in the dust is people actually getting out and doing something about it, even though they've still given a little bit of money here or there, you know, and, and there's companies like Sportsman's Nation that really support what 2% stands for in that, in that giving back. And so, so yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, um, I do, I do some work with them. Uh, um, I've gotten really busy with a lot of other conservation stuff. So I unfortunately feel like I've, I haven't done them justice lately, but I'm still always here to talk to I can point you in the right direction of if maybe turkeys aren't your thing, maybe pheasants are maybe, uh, maybe trout unlimited, whatever. Um, you know, I'm more than willing to talk through with you of how you can give back what interests you. And there's a lot of non hunting thing. I think that people forget about there's a lot of non-hunting things in south dakota there's a lot of groups too that are um that are really giving back and putting gin just as much work as some of these other conservation groups that are out there you know so and i can even i i got some ideas there too i got contacts for people who i can get you in touch with there so uh if you go to fish and wildlife and while you're there sign up get certified to be two percent certified it's free as an individual there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do it. So, um, but that's the easiest way. Otherwise um, you can search Greg Vandenberg on Instagram and you'll, you'll find me. It's, I've got a public page and our public um, profile since I do some stuff with some conservation groups. So it's uh, you're, you could easily follow me along with the weird requests of people with only like two followers and very strange photos, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll prove you if you're, if you're a normal person, and have regular photos i will promise i will i will i will follow you back <laughs> uh, yeah and i'll make sure to put all the uh, contact info for fish and wildlife and, and your yep. handles and whatnot in the show notes so if you're listening look down there um but that's what this podcast is going to be about is conservation and getting people back involved so i'm glad we got that off on the right foot uh this will be actually i think maybe the first episode kind of bad for me but first episode we talked about that here so i mean that's the whole point that's why i like sportsman's nation which is what 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 this podcast is a part of and and uh kind of my vision for it so but anyway thank you very much greg i really appreciate your time Uh, it was great having you on yeah thank you so much uh i love trying to get this message out of conservation and then also just sharing that passion for whatever it may be and I, i can't stress that enough whatever you find joy in and being outdoors i'd love for i'd love to go hunting with you but if you want me to come kayaking with you if you want i don't care i'll go do it if you're willing to listen 
hear me out and why it's important to take care of all these things that we have in South Dakota. Um, I'll hear you out. I got no problem with that. Absolutely. It's uh, we have a very unique state and, and it, if it's, it, you know, it's been ever since the United States started, this has been uh, it's, it's a fight to keep the conservation heritage that we have and yeah, yeah. it's up to each generation to carry it on. So yeah. we need people like what, you that are passionate about it. So. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is it, it's always something that never people don't have a problem with, but for some reason, when it, when the, it comes down to brass tacks, it's a little bit hard. It's a hurdle for some people to really latch onto it. You know, people don't have a problem with it, but you know, so, but there's a lot of good people out there who really honestly want, they want good uh, places to recreate. They want play, good places to hunt. So it's so great to see people getting more involved in that area. Absolutely. But well, we'll uh, probably have you t- on again to talk about that because that's I, a topic. anytime you want to talk to me, I, I can <laughs> I can probably spend way more time than you're really wanting want to record. But I'm more than happy to talk about it. I think the problem is people wouldn't want to listen to us talk for that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we could we could find some like pictures of the uh, some gifts of the kardashians or something and put our mouths in them and then maybe they'll be more entertaining to watch that or something i don't know i don't know i always turn my eyes away when i see them but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i suppose all right well thanks greg all right well thank you so much i appreciate it absolutely and that is a wrap folks i challenge all of you if you aren't involved in a conservation group go do some research join one join two join ten just get involved. The days are past when you could just sit back when it's not hunting season. We all need to step up for conservation. You can't just be a hunter and not be a conservationist anymore. If we want to keep our hunting tradition, this is a must. It is at stake for us. It is at stake for our kids and our grandkids. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I really appreciate it. Get out there, get in the turkey woods in the next coming weeks. Follow along as I'll be posting pictures from my hunts on social media. So give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, uh, handle at South Dakota Unlimited. Pretty easy. Don't forget it. Tag me in your hunting success pictures or posts. Uh, Send me through pictures. I'd love to see them. I'll give you a shout out on the page. And uh, if you could all actually do me a huge favor, head on over to iTunes, uh, rate the show, leave a comment. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from iTunes, Spotify, wherever. But anyway, please do that. I'd really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, get out there and get some gobblers.